0: Good morning again, everybody. Um, As we've uh, been saying, I'm I'm more and more going to use this phrase when we gather around the word, it's time for us to feed our spirits. Amen. So that's why we gather together on Sunday mornings is we're here to feed our spirits. Um, You know, we feed our bodies three hot meals a day, right? So we should do the same thing with our spirit, right? We should feed our spirit. Not just one cold snack a week, as Brother Hagin used to say, but we should feed it three times daily as well, just to feed our hearts. But it's time for us to eat together of of the Word and just grow in Him. So if you want to find the book of Romans, and I'm going to just pick up, um, I thought I was done, but I just felt like we just need to go ahead and land the plane. How's that sound? That kind of left us in mid-flight and a lot of new faces, and I'll kind of give a real quick review But I encourage you that if you haven't heard the past couple of messages, please go back to our podcast, and on your phone or your device, you can go to your podcast engine and just type in Life of Faith North, Life of Faith North podcast, and you'll find our podcast. Go back and listen to the last uh, two messages that I did, because this is definitely going to be a third part and a conclusion of that. But before we go any further, I'm going to pray. How's that sound, Mr. Cameron? Should I pray? Should we do something spiritual like prayer? Think so? All right, Lord, we love you so much. So grateful to be together. Thank you for your word, Father. Thank you for an opportunity to grow in you, to grow together or to hear together from your spirit. So Lord, just give us your wisdom, your guidance. Help me speak well. Help me speak from you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So we've been talking about Our newness of life, ever since coming right out of Easter and the resurrection of Jesus, uh, we just have been talking about what it says, Paul said in Romans, the sixth chapter, that because we have been united with Him in His death and we've been united with Him in His resurrection, we now walk in newness of life. Everybody say new life. Again, I kind of jokingly said, have you ever wished you could have a, a new life? Anybody ever been that way before? It's been that kind of a week, and you just wish you could have a whole new life. You know, we like those movies where the, the protagonist in the movie, uh, you know, he looks like he died or she died, but they didn't die. And they get to kind of start life over, right? And we kind of all fascinate about that. What would my life look like if I could just kind of, it looked like I died and I started over again? Well, in Christ, we did. The old man died... And we were born again. We were born anew into a newness of life. So you have a brand new life. And what's just been real strong in my heart to, to talk about this is in that newness of life is a life free from sin. i oh, at least to get one amen right there. <laughs> Hallelujah. Maybe y'all don't want to be free from sin. I don't know anybody not want to be free from sin. You just want to say stuck. And your sin, you know, everybody say, I am, free from sin. I am free from sin, right? You are free from sin and you're truly, When we've looked at it. You are free from your old sin nature, right? I don't know. It, again, it seems like it's something we haven't told many believers or we've only told them partially. Paul in the book of Colossians says that when you were born again, Jesus performed a circumcision or a procedure on your spirit, on your heart. And it says that he reached into you, into your spirit, and he cut away from you your old nature with all of its passions and its lusts. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You have been freed from your sin nature. Right, I loved In uh, Facebook, one of Selena's friends, I loved her post that she shared. You know, that there is a truth to there was a time that I was a sinner that was saved by grace, but the moment I was saved by grace, I ceased being a sinner. Amen. And now I am a saint. Hallelujah. And you are too. Why don't you try that on for us? Say, I'm a saint. I'm a saint. Why don't you look at the person next to you and say, Hey, I'm a saint? I'm a saint. I'm a saint. <laughs> right? (laughs) That kind of sounds funny to us, doesn't it? When we hear our say, but remember a saint simply means I am holy. I am pure. Amen. I, I am free from contamination. You are a saint of the living God. You are holy. You are pure. You are free from your sin. You've heard me say it. Father had to say it to me finally one day about 10 or 12 years ago when he said, son, the only way I could free you from your sin is I had to free you from your sin. (laughs) That's the only way I could do it. The only way that he could set me and you free from our sin is he had to set you free from your sin. And so that is what we've been walking through, and and I told you part of my testimony, because again, I grew up like many, I grew up in a Christian home, grew up going to Christian school, but I had learned, uh, not directly, but um, accidentally from my father about pornography and sexual issues and all this kind of stuff, and it kind of clung to me through my whole life. And again, I jokingly say, I was, I was living the life of a Britney Spears song. I kept finding myself going, oops, I did it again, right? And I would just repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat. And I was told, well, you're just going to be bound up in something. You know, it's just your thing that's there. And finally, with what we're sharing with you, right, through Romans chapter 5, 6, 7, and today we're going to look at Romans chapter 8. Father showed me, no, son, you have been freed from that, Right, because the only way he could free me from it was he? Right, remember we talked about a couple of weeks ago that the, again the writer of the book of Hebrews again in chapter 12, he says, so lay aside the sin and the weight that so easily besets you. Aren't you glad it's just that easy? Notice he did not say get an intercessory team together. Come on, now y'all look at me real funny now. <laughs> Come on, he didn't say, have a deliverance service. What did God say about if I have a sin? And it seems like from that verse that it's quite common for us to have something. Again, yours may not have been what mine was, yours might have been something else, right? But if you had something that seemingly so easily besets you, he just said, hey, set it aside, lay it aside. Turn your gaze to Christ and run the race that is set before you. So you don't have to battle with it anymore. Amen. Praise God. Now again, y'all kind of, everybody all right this morning? You just thinking on it? Some of y'all looking kind of funny this morning, just checking. Because I have found that, that for some reason as Christ followers, one of the number one things people will fight you over is they will fight you to hang on to their sin. <laughs> now I think we do it because it somehow gives us some kind of an excuse right? It gives us a reason to struggle. It gives us an out. But as we've been seeing, you have been freed from your sin. So there's your complete and eternal and permanent out. Amen. So with that, and I'm reading from the Passion Translation again, so if you've got your digital Bible, you can follow along with me there. If you're more in in old King Jimmy or new King Jimmy, uh, you can do your best and just listen to what this is, just kind of keeping up with what we're doing. But I love this, Romans chapter 8. We did Romans 6, then we did Romans 7, now we're going to land the plane, and I'm just going to do what we've done. I'm just going to read us through Romans chapter 8 from the Passion Translation. We'll stop every now and then and kind of smell the flowers. But just follow along. And I love what it says here in verse number one. So now then, the case is closed. I love that. The case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation for those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the anointed one. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad your case is closed? Aren't you glad the case of sin against you has been closed by the anointed one, Jesus? Amen. It's been done and closed and and no one can open it up against you again. Because it's a closed case. And there is now no more condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad you can live a free from condemnation life? Amen. 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 No more condemnation. Verse 2: For the law of the Spirit of life fl- flowing through the anointing of Jesus has liberated you from the law of sin and death. Hallelujah. Say, I'm free from the law of sin and death. Sin and death. Sin and death. Say one more time, like you believe: I'm free from the law of sin and death. The reason why I do this is, is it's just good for you to hear this coming out of your mouth. Because sometimes you hear me say it and you go, oh, yeah, that sounds good coming out of your mouth, Brad. But you need to hear it coming out of your mouth. I am free from the law of sin and death. Amen. You are free from that. You know, there was an interesting thing. uh, If you read the the life story of a man by the name of John G. Lake. Anybody ever heard of John G. Lake before? So John G. Lake, for those who haven't, he was a missionary to South Africa somewhere in the 1800s. And during his time in South Africa, he got a hold of verse two. I've been freed from the law of sin and death, right? And during that time, there was an outbreak of something like the black plague or bubonic plague or some kind of really bad plague. We might say coronavirus, (laughs) right? Some kind of pandemic had broken out in South Africa, right? And so he was at a hospital and he was praying for people. And he looked at him, and there was a man, if I'm getting the story right, there was a man there who had like some saliva or something that had the plague. Right. And so John G. Lake said, I want you to take that saliva, put it under a microscope and tell me what you see. And so they did. And I said, well, we see the plague. It's there alive in his body. He said, now put it in my hand. Right. And they put it in his hand and he closed his hand and he cursed it in the name of Jesus. And he opened his hand back up. He said, now look at it again. And they put it back under. They said, it's all dead now because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made you free from the law of sin and death. Amen. Amen. So this is also remember bigger than just, okay, I've been freed from my sin, right? Because all sin brought about sickness. Sin and sickness were tied together, right? So when we talk about ministering to people, you understand that you can take the law of life that's on the inside of you and you can exercise the law of life in you into somebody else. Amen. I'll let y'all just sit on that one just for another minute or two. Amen. It says, number verse three, four, God achieved what the law was unable to accomplish because the law was limited by the weakness of human nature. Yet God sent his son in human form to identify with human weakness. Clothed with humanity, God's son gave his body to be the sin offering so that God could, I love this, once and for all, condemn the guilt and power of sin. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 Why did Jesus have to come in the flesh? Right? Right? Because we couldn't do it, but because he could then, one of the main reasons Jesus had to be born as a man is he had to have the ability to condemn sin in his flesh. Hallelujah. He had to be able to live as a God-man and take on our sin and condemn it and free us from it. Amen, praise God. So how free are you? How free are you? How free are you? How free are you? See, to believe anything different is to say that what Jesus did was insufficient. To believe that there is any remnant of sin that still has control of me is to say then what Jesus left something undone. Do you see that? It's to say, oh, well, that, whatever that might be, that Jesus didn't pay for. That Jesus didn't accomplish. That is, and we have to be careful because if we do that then, then that means then who can? Right? So how much of mankind's sin did Jesus deal with? All All of it. So how free are you? Amen. Praise God. Amen. All right. Again, y'all going to get real excited. I keep hoping one day this is going to drop in y'all and y'all are just going to get all excited and jump up and down and shout like your team won the national championship. Amen. Because this is way bigger than any of that. Amen. Huh? <laughs> what did you say? Well, I mean, what? <laughs> well, here's the thing. Guys, again, when, when we catch a hold of this, when we'll take the time and allow this truth to drop into us, you will really be a radically, radically, radically transformed in your life. Amen. Because I'm talking about what we have in Christ is an ability to live from today through the balance of our life on earth and well on into eternity, absolutely, utterly, without any sin whatsoever. Amen. 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 You never have to sin ever again. And I know that sounds, people have told me, Brad, that's just a pipe dream. Brad, that's just unrealistic. Brad, that's just scandalous. And I said, well, that's exactly what Christ is. That's right, right? That's, remember that's what the, uh, the prophet Isaiah said about the gospel message. Who has believed our report? Yeah. Who has believed what we have prophesied? It, and he, he, Isaiah says like, it, it's really, it's too good to be true. That's right. You know, down here, down the road from us, there's Dewey Barber Chevrolet. Anybody gone to Dewey Barber Chevrolet, bought a car before? Yeah. But what if I told you, we so you know, today and today only, Lucas, today and today only, you can go to Dewey Barber and you can buy a brand new car for a dollar. What do you think? <laughs> do you believe me? Do you, do you believe my report? I'd go check it out. <laughs> well, here's the thing. That's what, we, that's what we're actually saying. Hey, Lucas, do you understand? You're completely sin free. Do you understand that that you're absolutely made perfect and whole in Jesus Christ? That you and Jesus are identical twins in the spirit. That you're as pure as he is. You're as loved as he is. You're as holy as he is. You're as empowered as he is. You are one of his brothers. He is the firstborn of many identical twins. Born in his image. Born in his likeness. Right, and We said that last week, how much is Jesus struggling with sin? Is Jesus up there struggling? Man, I just hope I don't screw up. <laughs> is Jesus preoccupied by it? Is he worried about it? It, does it, does it? Does it make him sweat and go, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? I can't screw up. No, he just lives what he is, sin free. Just like you and I can. Amen? All right, anyway. So now, verse 4, so now every righteous requirement of the law can be fulfilled through the anointed one living his life in us. And let's stop right there again because we always talk about this and people say, well, Brad, well, what about the Ten Commandments? What about the, What about the law? What am I supposed to keep the law? And here's the thing, the righteous requirement, and I love that phrase that Paul uses in this verse, The righteous requirement of the law has been fulfilled in the man, Jesus Christ, so that through him, you live the law. Now, what's going to happen is you're going to find yourself, as you catch reality of this, you'll find yourself doing the commandments, but not because you have a righteous requirement to do so, but because you have a nature within you that will just do those things. Does that make sense? Because remember the, the Ten Commandments, if you will, the famous Ten Commandments are a reflection of righteousness. They're a reflection of God's nature. They're a reflection of who He is. That's why He put them out there. Hey, here, this is what I look like. Yep. This is who I am. This is what I do. Amen. Yep. Try to, and and the, kind of the, the exercise was, is, and try to do this without me. And we find out that we can't. But now because of Him... There's no more righteous requirement for the law, but we will find ourselves not lying. Hey, man, man, I thought, okay, hallelujah. How about you'll find yourself not coveting? Amen. You'll find yourself not blaspheming. Amen. You'll find yourself not adulterating. <laughs> it, is, it is, it is now, it is today. Are you with me? You'll find yourself living out these things. Amen. I love this. And we are free to live, not according to the flesh, but by the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit. Those who are motivated by the flesh only pursue what benefits themselves, but those who live by the impulses of the Holy Spirit are motivated by, to pursue spiritual realities. So which one are you motivated by, the flesh or the Spirit? Oh man, it, y'all acting like a bunch of Baptists in here. What, which, what, which one? Are, right? Which one? Uh, what, what motivates you? Is it the flesh or the spirit? Which one? Spirit. The spirit. No. Are you sure? No. You, you're not sure. No, it's flesh. I mean, you're, you're okay. flesh. No, you know the spirit does. <laughs> should be the spirit. Be the
1: spirit.
0: a lot of us is the flesh. Well, here's the thing. Why do you think a lot of us you think it's the flesh? That is true. You do. You do. You may make mess up and make mistakes, but the reason normally we mess up and make mistakes is because we've been trained to make a mistake. You've been told that mistakes are inevitable. are they? Normal? That's are a, that's a good <laughs> that's a good question. That's why we're talking about this. You've been you've been told that it's just going to happen. It's just a mentality like the new disorders you know how yeah. there are now. Yeah. And they took her daughter in and they diagnosed her they like, what was it? ODD. O-D-D. Opposition like, defiance uh, disorder. Yeah. hmm She's like, why did you tell my child that? That's now, oh, I can't, I can't obey you. I can't obey you. I have He's, a disorder. At least you know. she had, you know, she was mad as they told her yeah. medically that she's a brat. No, <laughs> <And> <laughs> medically <laughs> she's a brat. In the church, that's what I, you know, no matter how hard you try, you can't do it. It's not gonna, just try Yeah. Well, here's what I, here's the truth of the gospel. And this is my hope. If we can all understand you have been radically transformed and I don't think we have fully helped people realize how radical that transformation is. The transformation that has happened to you is, is beyond anything we have been told before. That's why Paul tells the Corinthians, probably the most fleshy and carnal of all the churches he, he wrote to, he says, you're acting like this. And he says, you're acting like mere men. Well, what the converse of that is, he was saying, is, is you're no longer a mere man, right? You, you are a God incarnate, God indwelled, God transformed human being. Praise God. Yeah. Amen. Again, I, I said all the time, if, my, if I could do something, if I could ask for any quote unquote superpower from heaven, I would love to have the ability to help people peel back their flesh and peel back their soul and actually see their spirit. Because if, if you could actually see your spirit, you look just like Jesus. There is no difference between you and the Savior. Praise God. Hallelujah. But the good news is, you know what the good news is? You can see your spirit. We're reading about it right here. That's why he wrote the book. Amen. But notice this. Okay, verse 6. For the sense and reason of the flesh is death. But the mindset controlled by the spirit finds life and peace. In fact, the mindset focused on the flesh fights God's plan and refuses to submit his, to his direction because it cannot. Here Paul tells us if we have a belief like Kevin, if we have a belief that my flesh still has power over me, that my flesh still has control over me, that I am somehow still beholden to the old fleshy nature, then yes, you will find yourself like it says here in verse 7, you, you won't do the things of God. You won't follow the plan of God. You won't follow the directives of God because the flesh on its own, it cannot. But let's get going. For no matter how hard they try, God finds no pleasure with those that are controlled by the flesh. But, now everybody say but. Everybody say but. Now remember, you gotta get your butt in the right place, right? But, right? But when the spirit of Christ empowers your life, how many of you have the spirit of Christ empowering your life? Amen. Come on. How many of you got the spirit of Christ empowering your life? Yes, Amen. But when the spirit of Christ empowers your life, you are not dominated by the flesh. I love watching people's heads pop up. <laughs> Let me say that one more time because some of you still don't believe it. When you are of the spirit of Christ and it empowers your life, you are not dominated by the flesh but by the spirit. So can you say that you have the spirit of Christ empowering you? Can you say that? Then the flesh does not dominate you anymore. Does that make sense? The flesh does not dominate you anymore. And if you are not joined to the spirit of the anointed one, it says this, then you are not of him. And here's one of those really distinct verses between the two. If I am of Christ, then the flesh does not dominate me. If I find myself dominated by my flesh, Paul says, then it just means the Spirit of Christ is not in you. You're not of Him. Hallelujah. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I say, That's just as awesome of a hallelujah because there's an answer. Oh, oh, I'm, I just need to be joined to the Spirit of Christ. Amen. Some y'all look at me real funny now. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Say that out loud. Say, my flesh, my flesh does, not me. does not dominate me. Right? What dominates you? Your spirit and the spirit of Christ that you're joined with dominates you. You are principally and primarily a spirit being. That is who you are. Your spirit is the largest part of you. It's the biggest third of you is your spirit. Hallelujah. Mm-hmm. Amen. Your spirit dominates your flesh. Never believe anything different. That's why if an opportunity for the flesh to rise comes, you can stop and say, oh yeah, no, we're not going to do that. Oh yeah, no, I'm not going to go that way. I'm not going to respond that way. I'm not going to go this way. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? Yep. Aren't, you, aren't you so glad? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Now, says verse and now Christ lives his life in you. And even though your body may be dead because of the effects of sin. Now, again, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Our body is waiting to have its full redemption. Your body here is still in and affected by a sin-filled world. Because your body and the earth are connected. Does that make sense? Is that, and and again, and man, and I'll have to maybe make this a two-parter. But anyway, is so we shared this at the table the other day, and it and it jumped out at my kids. I want to make sure I say it here. Remember that when God created mankind, that He made mankind the portal or the doorway between the two realms. Remember, there are principally two realms in creation. There is the spirit realm, and there is the physical realm. So let's do a little bit of discipleship. What did God make man out of? The earth. What else? Because he didn't just leave it dirt. The breath of his nostrils. God breathed into that lump of clay that he formed into a man. And it says in Genesis, and when he breathed into him, the spirit or the breath of life, man became a living soul. So mankind was made from the two worlds. He was made from the dust of the ground and from the breath of God. And in that one creative act, God made mankind the doorway between the spirit realm and the physical realm. Hallelujah. That's why, have you ever noticed, whenever God wanted to do something in the earth, what was the first thing God did? He found a person. He found a human that would be willing to allow him to work with and through him. Do you see that? Abraham, Moses, Joshua, David, right? Samuel, Paul, Peter, He needed a human, and that's why ultimately, again, why Jesus had to be born as a human is he had to come as a doorway. Remember what Jesus said of himself? I am the door. Do y'all remember that? No one comes through the Father except he comes through this portal, the portal of the Savior. Do you understand that? Do you understand now why you have so much power in the earth? Because you are the portal between the two realms. You are the connector between the two realms. Now do you understand why it's so important to realize what has happened and why you were transformed spiritually first, not physically? Because which of the two realms is the greater? Because why is the spirit realm greater than the natural realm? Because the natural realm was made from there. Remember Paul said that in one of his letters. He said everything that is here that we see is temporary. It is temporal. It was made from another place. Everything here that is physical was made from the eternal. Right? The eternal is what will last forever. The physical is just temporary. Right? So that shows us that of the two realms, the spirit realm is the greater than the physical realm. Do we all see that? and We all will agree. So now do you understand why God changed you spiritually first and he will transform you physically later because the greatest part of you was transformed first. The part that's connected to the spiritual realm where the real authority and the real power and the real creative ability and the real life come from, you were transformed transformed there first later he will transform you physically. Like Paul said, we are waiting and we'll read it further in this same chapter. We're waiting for the fullness of our salvation when our physical body will be changed in the twinkling of an eye and we'll catch up with what happened to our spirit. Oh, you look at me real funny now. Yeah, I want you to go. You think about this and, and, and you will talk to people differently. <laughs> Guys, we have to. The day we live in, and it says here, and even in this, it's a prophetic thing in Romans 8, that it says the very creation itself is standing on its tippy toes waiting for the revelation of the sons of God to come to pass. So see, that one thing, creation is waiting for our ultimate transformation in our, in our eternal bodies, but it's also waiting for you to show up today. The creation is waiting for you to step into who you are today and to speak and to declare and to do from who you are today. Amen. 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 Come on now. Are y'all with me now? Everybody all right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Amen. I we just look at each other and say, he sounds a little crazy, but I like it. <laughs> yes, sir. I'll say this. There was a minister that caught flack a while back because... He said that there were many roads to Jesus. A lot of people got been ashamed, been out of shape about him saying that, I don't know. Because he never said that Jesus was not the only way to God. Yeah. So, we are those portals that God has made. Absolutely. I'm a road to Jesus. You're a road to Jesus. She's a road to Jesus. She's a road to Jesus. He's a road to Jesus. He's a road to Jesus. Yeah. There are many roads to Jesus, but that Jesus is the only road to God. That's true. Well, the thing is, Kevin, is... is <sighs> I don't disagree. You you are God's change agent how do I say this? Okay, here's the radical statement. You are Jesus. <laughs> Can I just does that make sense? Uh, no. Some people say no. You are Jesus. Tell me what are we called? Our religion is called what? We are the Christian religion. Somebody tell me what the word Christian actually means. Little Where did where were they first called Christians? In Antioch. Who was calling the Christians Christians? The outside world. The world. So do you understand this history? The church when it started in the book of Acts they called themselves the way That's what they named themselves as. We are the way to God. We are the way. Right? But the world looked at them and said, they're little Christs. (laughs) Come on. They look just like Jesus. They're little little Christ, Christians, small Christ's. They look just like Jesus. They act just like Jesus. They healed just like Jesus. They declared just like Jesus. They preached just like Jesus. They walked just like Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. See, Christianity now has been done a disservice by being called a religion. That was not a started as religion. It was an identifying phrase. Oh, you're a little Christ. So, see, you, you are more than just, and I don't disagree with you, I understand, more than just a way to Christ. You are Christ. That's who you are. Amen. I now, ever looks at me real funny. I'm not saying you're deity. I'm not saying that there's a, there's a job vacancy in the Godhead. Amen. But did I make myself like him? Who made me like him? So let's again. We all come from good Baptist circles, right? So we all believe in sovereignty, amen. I do too, right? The proverbial, "Who's the potter?" God. God. Who's the clay? We are. Gotcha. So the potter gets to do what with the clay? He gets to make it to be whatever. So who did he make you into? Jesus. Did you make yourself into Jesus? Who made you into Jesus? the Father sovereignly chose to fashion you just like himself and then sovereignly chose to come as you, then sovereignly chose to dwell in you and fill you with himself so that he could sovereignly live through you. So never think less of yourself than Jesus. We are taught not to believe that. Because we're taught it's prideful. We're taught it's arrogant. We're taught that uh, it's wrong. Because we're taught you're sinful. And you're struggling. And you're broken. And you're weak. And you should just be glad that Jesus kind of showed up. And somewhat gave you a nod. Right? And you're a, sinner. and you're a sinner. And you're still a sinner. And we deny the power of transformation. Right. Again, we sound too much like the verses. We have a form of godliness, but we have denied the power thereof. What was the power thereof? The power of the gospel to actually change you into Him. Because yep. that was His whole goal. Is the power in believing that you're in there? Is the power in believing? Uh, mm-hmm. Like, are you saying so? That there's a power in actually believing you are the image. Of Absolutely. The of Absolutely. There's a power in actually believing this is who I am. Remember, this is who I am, a chosen child of God. Mm. Mm. Remember Brother Mike's song? Amen. There's power in understanding this is who I am. Because I I will never believe or live, how do I say, I will never live out of a place I don't believe in. I'll only live from the place I actually believe in. And the reason why many Christians still struggle with their sin is they actually believe they're still a sinner. So they actually are just living out of their belief. Because remember, believing isn't a... Believing is just what you do. You are a believing creature. You were made and fashioned by a being who is a faith being. You were made in his image. So you are a faith being. There is nothing. And I know this makes more people mad at me than anything I've said in 20 something years of ministry. So please don't hate on me too much. All right. Is everything you are experiencing in your life is what you actually believe. And that's what makes people mad. Because they said, no, it's not. I said, I'm sorry, but it's true. Because you, you can't help it but believe. You can't help it but live from what you actually believe. Now, don't be condemned by that statement. Be liberated from that statement because you can change what you believe. I you think that if you don't even really are not sure what you believe in the first place. Very good. And, and Sophia, that's why the Lord in his love and his grace left us his word. Right, He left us what is truth in Scripture and said, stay and live in my word. Remember, the imagery all the time of Scripture is one of a mirror. So somebody tell me, does a mirror paint a picture? What does a mirror do? A mirror reflects. What does it reflect? What is actually there? So when God says... This is the mirror of the word. Look into the mirror of the word. What is it doing? Is it trying to paint me a picture of what I could be one day? It's giving me a reflection of what I actually am. So when I read the scripture, and this is a mirror, and I read the reflection of, oh, I'm sin free. That's not painting a picture of what's going to happen one day. That is giving me the reflection of what's actually happened in here. When I read the thing and it says, oh, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Is that telling me I'm going to be that one day? What's it given to me? It's giving me the reflection of what I actually am. When he says, yo, you are pure. You are holy. You are accepted. You are in the beloved. You have an inheritance, which is me. God says himself. Do you see that? Yes. So these things, he is not giving you descriptors of what you're going to be one day. He is giving you the reflection of what you actually are today. And what keeps us from living that reflection. How many of you now, again, can I be honest? And I'll, I'll pick on me, right? Cause it's not nice to pick on you with this kind of stuff. <laughs> but I, I do kind of hate on myself when it comes to my looks, right? I do kind of bust on myself. Anybody else bust on yourself about your looks? Besides me, I kind of bust on myself about my looks. Have you ever ever had somebody in your life, like my loving wife, that says, "No, you're awesome. You're handsome. You're good looking." Or anybody ever have that before? Hey, God, praise. Do you believe them? No. <laughs> you know, we do the same thing to God, don't we? Yeah, that's right. He tells us all the time the truth of what we actually are, and many times we walk away. And go, yeah, no, that's not me. I don't, I don't believe you. Therefore, I don't live from that place. Even though that place is true. Even though that place is real. Even though that place is an actual thing. I, 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 don't want, I don't believe that, for whatever reason. And there's multiple reasons why we don't believe it. Many times that what happens is, is we live from what the Bible calls a place of double-mindedness, right? We live from this place of two opinions. God's opinion that's telling me truth and maybe something I've been told by others or myself my whole life. And it says, wherever I live in the place of two opinions, I am unstable in all of my ways in that place. Yeah. So, so if I live in a place of, yeah, okay, sure, I, I, God says I'm sin free, but I've been told I'm not sin free. I live in a place of double opinion and I'm unstable and you look like, a lot like Brad did. I'm, I'm like a Britney Spears song. Oops, I did it again. Right? Rinse and repeat. This, oh, yeah. Does that make sense? Is this okay, everybody? All right. Okay. A few more minutes. Is this okay? Yeah. Keep going. I'm going to try to make it. Because the end of this chapter is my absolute all-time favorite part of the entire New Testament is the end of this chapter. All right. So I want to try to get us to my favorite part of the Bible. Okay? So... Where do we leave off? Verse. What's back at verse 10? So now Christ lives his life in you, and even though your body may be dead because of the effects of sin, his life-giving spirit imparts life to you because you are fully accepted by God. Yes, God raised Jesus to life, and since God's spirit of resurrection lives in you, he will also raise your dying body to life by the same spirit that breathes life into you. I love what the Amplified Bible says, that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead will quicken and make alive your death-doomed body in Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Hey, it's powerful. That means, hey, listen, I know I'm looking across here and I see some some wizened maturity in our group here. Amen. Don't don't let anything other than the resurrected. You all right? We have to talk to you later? Probably. Okay. (laughs) All right, we'll just sit there and pray. Amen. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) He's set free. He's sin free. He he, he may still be getting a spanking, but he's (laughs) sin free. But, um, (laughs) amen. But if you hear, let that resurrected life of Jesus quicken your physical body. Amen. Amen. That same resurrected power that's on in your spirit will push itself out. You can let it push itself out into your body and it'll push out things and it'll energize things. Amen. Praise God. It'll, it'll make you alive. Amen. Come on now. So then it says, verse 12, beloved ones, the flesh has no claim on us at all. Hallelujah. How much claim does the flesh have? None. None. And we have no further obligation to live in obedience to it. (laughs) Amen. Praise God. You have no further obligation to obey the flesh. For when you live controlled by the flesh, you're about to die. (laughs) Right, Courage? Okay, anyway. But if the life of the spirit puts to death the corrupt ways of the flesh, then we taste his abundant life. Hallelujah. Amen. The mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the spirit. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty, leading you back into fear of never being good enough. Praise God. But you have received the spirit of full acceptance. How, how, how accepted are you? Fully accepted. Enfolding you into the family of God. And you will never feel orphaned. For he he raises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, my beloved father. Amen. Praise God. Isn't that awesome? For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our inmost being, you are God's beloved child. Amen. You are God's beloved child. Hallelujah. And I love, and I got to just hit the, and so back up there before it says that the spirit will then lead us to put the death, the deeds of the flesh. And y'all heard me tell this testimony, but it's the most powerful one I've had in my life in ministry. So I'll just tell it one more time if that's okay. Right. But a, a number of years ago, we had a young lady in our Irondale campus that received Jesus and she born again and all this kind of stuff, sweet girl. And then Uh, She comes to the church over there and I just happen to be there with Pastor Mark, our our pastor at the other campus. And she walks in and you can just see it. She comes walk. You ever seen somebody that's not, has done something they're not supposed to do? She has that kind of, right? And she, and you can just see it on her. She just walks in and you just see and she goes, oh good, you're both are here talking about me and Pastor Mark. Y'all are both here. I, I need to talk to you guys. And we're like, okay, sure. So she sits down and she goes, well, I've been smoking pot again. And she just, you can just see her just beat down, weighed down. And not that I wish I could say I was this smart, but it was just the Holy Spirit. I just looked at her and said, I am so excited for you. (laughs) And she looked up and her head popped up and she looked up. She goes, Pastor Brad, you're excited. I'm smoking pot. I said, I'm really excited. You're smoking pot. It makes me so happy for you. And she goes, I'm really confused. She goes, "Why, why are you excited? I'm smoking pot. I said, because six months ago, it never bothered you, did it? And she goes, no, it never did. I said, because now that it bothers you, it's a sign you're a child of God. Because he's leading you to put to death the deed of your flesh. So you, instead of feeling condemned, you should rejoice. Because now it is proven to you that you are saved. And you are free from this. And you are, and we walked her through these verses that I'm walking you through. You're free from this. And, and she dropped it and never went back. Wow. Amen. So whenever we do something and it feels like we're controlled by our flesh and something goes, "Ugh," we should go, oh, hey, I'm a son of God. I shouldn't do this. I don't have to do this. I am freed from this. I'm no longer under the obligation of this desire because I am a child of God and he will lead me to put to death that deed of the flesh. That thing that, again, may even have seemed so easily to beset me. I'll lay it aside. Amen. amen, 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 amen. Verse 17, and since we are his true children, we qualify to share all his treasures. Amen. For indeed, come on, y'all, one day y'all going to get saved and it's just <laughs> going to be awesome. Let me just read that again and hopefully your salvation will perk up. Amen. For since you are his true children, we qualify to share in all his treasures. How many of you think God's got some treasures? Yes. Amen. Amen. For indeed, we are heirs of God Himself. What is your inheritance? God, God Himself. It makes me quit trying and longing to go to heaven because you have inherited God. You will live wherever he dwells. But your real inheritance is not the streets of gold. It's not a mansion in glory. It's not a pearly gate. Your inheritance is God himself. Amen. 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 Come on now. Amen. And since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is. There it is again. How much of him do you have? How much of Christ do you have? Oh. Who are you? Jesus. You are Jesus because you have inherited him and all that he has. So again, how much sin nature does Jesus have right now? None. None. <laughs> how much is he struggling with some bad addiction? None. How much is he just pushing off temptation, man, beating it back with the stick? None. We will experience being co-glorified with him. Now here's the only provision, provided that we accept his sufferings as our own. The only thing I wish I could say you're free from is you're free from persecution. Was Jesus fully accepted by every person on the planet? Was Jesus fully believed? Was Jesus fully held as truth? Right? Right? So understand that for you and I, right, there will be times when as we go through, and, I, and if I can be honest with you, sometimes we talk about that, you know, and, and again, I would agree to a measure. We really don't serve for persecution here in the United States of America, like at all. Not like some of our brothers and sisters do in other parts of the world. Right. Yet you go around here, you leave here this afternoon, I, I dare you, double, triple dog dare you. You go out of here leave this place, go have lunch somewhere, look somebody in the eye and tell them they're free from their sin. And you're probably going to suffer just a little bit like Jesus did. Because <laughs> they may laugh at you. They may make fun at you. They may not believe you, but it's still true. They get and they might get hostile, right? And, and don't be shocked if like Jesus, most of your hostility comes from good old religious folk. Right mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So we will, as Paul said to Timothy in his second letter, he said, those who follow Christ will have persecutions in this life, right? I know that's not a fridge magnet. We like to stick up on the fridge, but it's just as true as anything else. We will suffer persecution. Now, please, if I can just be real clear and I don't have time to teach on this, I'm not talking about sickness. Sickness is not a persecution. Sickness is sickness. Poverty and lack are not a persecution. They're just poverty and lack. We overcome those through the resurrected Jesus and what he has done in his work. What here talks about suffering is suffering for the gospel and the sake of Christ. Does that make sense? And I love what Brother Keith Moore, one of our teachers, used to tell us all the time. And if you're not experiencing any persecution, it's probably because you're not declaring the gospel in any way in your life. (laughs) Anyway, I'll just drop that right there. So, um... (laughs) Verse 18. So he says, I am convinced that any suffering we endure is less than nothing compared to the magnitude of the glory that is about to be unveiled within you. Hallelujah. The entire universe, here it is, is standing on tiptoe, yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. Hallelujah. And that's not just talking about when he returns. That's talking about today. That the creation is standing on tiptoe waiting to see you come alive and awake to who you are in Jesus Christ. For against, for against its will, the universe itself has had to endure the empty futility resulting from the consequences of human sin. But now with eager expectation, all creation longs for freedom from its slavery to decay and to experience with us the wonderful freedom coming to God's children. To this day, we are aware of the universal agony and groaning of creation as if it were in contractions of labor for childbirth. And it's not just creation. We who have already experienced the first fruits of the spirit, also inwardly groan as we passionately long to experience our full status as God's sons and daughters. This is talking about when your body is transformed and you received a glorified body. It says including our physical bodies being transformed. Amen. Aren't you ready for your glorified body? Mm-hmm. Amen. I, it, do y'all ever, like me, ever imagine what that's going to be like? Nobody. Okay, good. Well, <laughs> you should. Anybody, you should take time. You, do you understand that you one day you will receive a glorified body? Amen. Your body will be transformed in the blink, in the twinkling of an eye. And again, this is not time for teaching uh, eschatology stuff. But in Thessalonians, it does not say you will be it says you will be transformed in a blink, not necessarily caught away in a blink. That when Jesus returns, you will your physical body will jump and catch up with your spirit, just that fast. Now again, it, Brad's this is Bradology, okay? I can't necessarily prove it, but you can't necessarily disprove it. So <laughs> we'll kind of go there. It's just a Bradology, right? That how awesome was Jesus's first coming? Did he? Like slink in here through the back door. No. Somebody tell me about the awesomeness of Jesus' first coming. What was awesome about his first coming? Huh? The first thing is the, the, the Big old choir of angels singing out loud and visible. That doesn't sound very sneaky, does it? <laughs> what other awesome stuff happened that Jesus is? There was a star that hung out in the sky for two years till the wise man got to him. So think neon sign saying, here he is. Right? Not very sneaky, is it? Any other kind of neat thing? The shepherds, the wise men themselves, that there were people who were not Jews. These were not Jewish people. These were astrologers. These were moon worshipers from somewhere else that was apparently two years journey by camel or ever. This is not two years in a plane. This is two years on foot who came in droves. This was not three, as we see on our Christmas cards. It was enough to get King Herod, who wanted to to be king. He was nervous about the size of the entourage that would come to the newborn king. So how sneaky is God? So why do we think he's going to be sneaky in his second coming? Why do we think he's going to slick in here? It says he will come as a thief in the night, not a thief in the night. It just says he'll come when you're not ready for him to come. But it doesn't say it would be sneaky. Right? Do you understand? Loud trumpet. Sky split open. Clouds of saints on white horses. He will touch down on the Mount of Olives where he prayed that night and it says the floor of the Kidron Valley will rise up to meet his feet and he'll split the eastern gate. So God's not really into sneaking. He, he doesn't hide very well. He's a very extroverted person. That's exactly right. God is not this sly introvert. That does, it, does that make sense? Amen. So understand that you will be changed in the blink of an eye. You may not necessarily be caught up in a blink of an eye, but you will be transformed in the blink of an eye. And the earth is waiting for that transformation. You should be too. So imagine that. Remember Jesus? All that cool stuff Jesus did post-resurrection? I personally really believe. We people <laughs> I think, I, I, now you're my kid, so I know that. I think that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus liked going, Right. I mean, he liked just kind of popping into places and scaring people and then going, Hey, don't freak out. It's just me. Hey, 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 man. Are are you with me? I mean, he had some fun. He's still going to have some fun. Right. You know, Cedric, I'm most excited about. He still did fish fries after the resurrection. It's still, it's in there. Amen. Praise God. So anyway, verse 24 and I got to land the plane for this is our hope of our salvation. But hope means that we must trust and wait for what is still unseen. For why would we need hope for something that has already happened? As you understand, there is still a hope in your salvation. This, this transformation of your body, your body, all like that your body finally catching up with what's happened to your spirit. I want you to think of it like that. It, it, it's your physical body will finally catch up to the transformation that happened in your spirit right? And they'll be unified. But so because our hope is set on what is yet to be seen, we patiently keep on waiting for its fulfillment. And in a similar way, the Holy Spirit takes hold of us in our human frailty to empower us in our weakness. For example, at times when we don't know how to pray or know the best things to ask for, the Holy Spirit rises up within us to super intercede on our behalf, pleading to God with emotional sighs too deep, for words and that have you ever had that um, have you ever had that time when you, you were praying for something or about someone and and you were going and, and I don't really like the way just to be honest this translation fully does this because it doesn't say in the original how to pray it says when you don't know what to pray for as you ought we all know how to pray we pray to the Father in the name of Jesus with the help of the Holy Spirit that's the pattern of prayer that is throughout the New Testament. Our prayer is directed to Father, it is empowered by the authority of Christ in his resurrection, and we are aided by the Spirit. But how many of you ever had that time where you're praying about something or for someone, and uh, you kind of run out of things to say in English or a known language, but you can still sense there's more to be said? Anybody ever had that besides me? And the Holy Spirit then jumps in and helps you know what to say when you don't know how to say it. That's one of the biggest reasons why I believe every believer should be filled with the Spirit and speak in other tongues. Because it's that piece of the earnest of what's coming that he, I love that, that he super intercedes on your behalf and through you. Hallelujah. Amen. God, it says, the searcher of the heart fully knows our longings, yet he also understands the desires of the Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit passionately pleads before God for us the holy ones in perfect harmony with God's plan and for our destiny. So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together for good, for we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his designed purpose. Amen. For we know all for he knew all about us before we were born and has destined us from the beginning to share the likeness of his son. What are you sharing? What does that mean? You are Jesus. Somebody says you're like him. You share his likeness. You are like him. This means the son is the oldest among a vast family of brothers and sisters who will become just like him. Hallelujah. So who are you? Jesus. Say it out loud. Some of you are still nervous about that. Say who are you? Where are you from? Heaven. Heaven. Amen. Come on. <coughs> y'all, this is going to get some of y'all real excited in a couple of days. <laughs> Having determined our destiny ahead of time, he called us to himself and transferred his perfect righteousness to everyone he has called. Kevin, has he called you? Then how perfect is your righteousness? Perfect. perfect. And those who possess his perfect righteousness, he co-glorified with his son. Hallelujah. Amen. Hey, have you ever heard this before? And I know what we mean when we say this. So please bear me a little bit of tongue in cheek. Have you ever said, don't touch the glory of God? That God doesn't share his glory. Have you ever heard that before? Have you ever heard that before? Have you ever said that's not necessarily entirely true? I know what we mean in that I, I should not take credit like I did it of myself. Yeah, I'm not going to be a glory hog and say, look at how amazing I am. <laughs> Yet at the same time, it says here and throughout the scriptures, it says that God shares his glory with us. That was in Jesus' pastoral prayer in John chapter 17. Jesus at the very end, you remember Jesus right before he goes to the cross in John 17, he begins to pray the last time and he prays in the first part of that chapter. He's praying for the 12 disciples who were with him and it's a specific prayer for the 12, but around verse 20, Jesus changes and he says this. He says, now father, I pray for those who will believe on me after their word talking about the 12 and he begins to play that they now who's that they us. Because he says, I'm going to now pray for those who will believe on me after the word of the apostles. So who is that? Us. That they would know that we are one with each other. I and them and you and me and we together and we are one. And then he goes down there that they would know that the glory you have given me. Y'all looking at me funny. I have given him. I think Brad's misquoting the Bible. I can see it in some of y'all's faces. I know it's mama's, but hers preaches almost as good as mine. Her her Bible. I'm just going to read this to you so that you understand that I'm not making stuff up. John chapter 17. Still trying to get to my favorite verses. John chapter 17. And around verse 20, it says, I do not pray for these alone, talking of the 12, but I also for those who will believe in me through their word. Now, who is that? For they all, that that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. And the glory which you have given to me, I have given them. So what did Jesus give you? Whose glory? His glory. His glory. So don't ever believe that God doesn't want to share his glory (laughs) because that was Jesus's last and final prayer that we would understand that he has shared with us his glory. And remember, glory means the expressions of someone's nature. We talk about we go to the mountains and we look up at the mountains and we talk about their glorious or the glory of the mountains. What do we mean by that word glory? It means it's the nature of that mountain range, it's majesticness, it's beauty, it's splendor, it's awesome, whatever, right? Or we go to the ocean and we see the glory of the sunset down on the beach, or we see the glory of creation. We are talking about we see its nature, what it is and what it does. So when God says, he says, I now give to you the glory, Father, that you gave me. Now we understand why Jesus could say, you'll go and you'll do greater works than I did because now I've given my glory to you and 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 and I've shared my very nature, the nature that frees people from sin, the nature that liberates people from disease, the nature that sets the captive free, the nature that opens blind eyes, the nature that declares the acceptable year of the Lord. Amen. 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 Finally, here are my favorite verses and we'll land the plane. We won't stop. These are too good. After eight. So what does this all mean? Verse 31. Love Paul. So what does all this mean? If God has determined to stand with us, tell me who could ever stand against you. I love that. If he has determined... To stand with you who could ever stand against you for God has proved his love by giving his greatest treasure the gift of his son. And since God freely offered up himself as the sacrifice for us all, he certainly won't withhold anything from us that he is also able to give. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Amen. So is God keeping anything from you? No. no. Is he keeping anything from the world? How do we know he's not? Because he gave the best of all; he gave himself. Remember that. I love that uh, that that song that Hillsong did: "The Darling of Heaven, Crucified." We don't understand that word in English, in American English. You know what the darling was? It was the most precious sheep. Every shepherd in his flock had what they called the darling of the flock. Right? The darling of heaven crucified. Worthy is the lamb. So if he gave the darling of heaven, would he withhold anything from us? Amen. Amen. Who then would dare to accuse those whose God has chosen in love to be his? Whom God has chosen in his love to be his? So who would dare to accuse those people? God himself is the judge. Who has issued his final verdict over them, and what's that final verdict? Not guilty. not guilty. So, if God's final verdict over you is not guilty, remember what I've told you, and I'll tell you as long as I'm alive, right? If God's opinion about you is different than your opinion about you, I would just stick with God's opinion. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Amen. Not guilty. Is that what you're hoping for, brother? Amen. (laughs) Amen. Verse 24. (laughs) Who then is left to condemn us? Certainly not Jesus, the anointed one. Amen. Do you hear this? Uh If God the Father's verdict is not guilty... And Jesus is certainly not the one who is going to condemn you. And we know that only the Holy Spirit follows the voice of the Father and the Son. Then is God condemning you? For he gave his life for us. And even more than that, he has conquered death and is now risen exalted and enthroned by God at his right hand. So how could he possibly condemn us since he is continually praying for our triumph? Amen. (laughs) Praise God. How could he condemn you? All he's doing is praying for your triumph. Amen. Now you understand when Jesus is praying for you. Amen. Son, you're going to go lick that thing. You're going to overcome that thing. Amen. Who could ever, I love this, who could ever divorce us from the endless love of God's anointed one? Absolutely not. No one for nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love towards us. Troubles, pressures, and problems are unable to come between us and heaven's love. What about persecutions, deprivations, danger, and death threats? No, for they are all impotent to hinder the omnipotent love. Hallelujah. Even though it is written, all day long we face death threats for your sake, God. We are considered to be nothing more than sheep to be slaughtered. Yet even in the midst of all of these, we triumph over them all. For God has made us to be more than conquerors and has demonstrated his love. uh, And his demonstrated love is our glorious victory over everything. Amen. Amen. Praise God. So now I live with the confidence there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. I'm convinced that his love will triumph over death. Life's troubles, fallen angels or dark rulers in heavenly places. I love that. Don't be afraid of the devil. Can I just say that out loud? Can we stop being afraid of the devil? Can we stop being afraid of fallen angels? Amen. Hallelujah. Do you understand? How many angels did the devil take with him? A third. A third. How many does that leave behind? Two that leaves two thirds. <laughs> hey, so, so again, I told you I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but bless God I am in the drawer. <laughs> Amen. So as, the, as not the sharpest knife in the drawer, if, if I've got two thirds and one third, is that not two to one ratio? Yep. So there's two good angels for every one fallen angel. One to hold him and one to beat him up. <laughs> Hallelujah. Do never fear the devil. Amen. I love that. I'm going to read that again. So now I live with the confidence that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. I am convinced that his love will triumph over death, life's troubles, fallen angels, dark rulers in the heavens. Amen. There is nothing in our present or future circumstances that can weaken his love. There is no power above us, nor beneath us. No power that could ever be found in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love, which is lavished upon us through the Lord Jesus, the anointed one. Hallelujah. So now how loved are you? What can come between you and God? Remember, what if God was your tag team wrestling partner? I just keep him in the ring, (laughs) tag him in fast and let him stay in the ring and just cheer him on all the way. Amen. Are you with me? Guys, you are free from your sin. You have been transformed by the power of his love and you look just like Jesus. Whatever Jesus is suffering from, that's what you would suffer from. The only thing I see that he suffers from is unbelief. Right, People who won't believe in him. People who refuse to trust him. Take him at his word. That's about the only thing we could say that I would share with him. But everything else, he's not struggling with sin. He's not struggling with sickness. He's not struggling with poverty. He's not struggling with purposelessness. He's not struggling with anything of that. Amen. And neither should you or I. Amen. Yes, sir. Do you feel like we also have to take a... We have to be more proactive what we allow... Our eyes to see and what we're to hear. Absolutely. If God is not condemning us and Satan has no power over us, who the only one that can stop you from believing what God has said about you? That's you. You. That's then, right. But then, but if, if, if that's the case, that can only come out of you. So, what have you allowed in you? Yeah. That's good. Well, that's why we're told to, again, look into the perfect law of liberty. Continue in the perfect law of liberty. Remember, we said it before. Uh, James said, Receive with meekness the engrafted word of God, which is able to save your soul, not your spirit. Your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, your passions, your desires, your intellect, your interests. That's your soul. Right? I love what Brother Hagin used to say it best. He would say, Many Christians live and die and never have their soul saved. Their spirit is saved, but their soul is not saved because they never engrafted the reflection of the word of God into their mind, their will, their emotions. And, and what it means by that, To let, remember, we don't do this a lot because we don't grow a lot of stuff anymore. But when I was a kid, my folks had a nursery and we did some grafting. When you graft in a, a certain branch into another tree, it becomes part of that tree. It's not just a glue on. Many times we have treated mind renewal as I'm taping something on (laughs) to my life. I hope it doesn't fall off. Instead of realizing, no, I'm allowing the word of God and the reflection of the image of Christ that I am. I'm allowing that to be engrafted into my thinking until it becomes me. Until that thing which is engrafted in is enveloped by the way I think. D- does that make sense? And, and again, to the point, like I said before, does that mean in my own journey that I don't struggle with pornography? Well, here's what I don't. But here's what happens. Sometimes the nudge comes, the bait of Satan, if you will, throws out there. But I've gotten so convinced of how free that I am. That literally when that happens, I stand there and go, if I grab that, I have to deny who I am. Yep. To go back and do that again, I would have to now consciously with my brain say, I'm bound by that. Yeah. Because I have so persuaded my thinking I'm free from that. <laughs> that it literally has to be one of those things where I would have to, um, I'd have to pick it up again in a denial of who I know that I am. And when, when you get to that place, you look, you look at stuff and go, I ain't touching that. So do I struggle with it? It comes and I go, yeah, I ain't touching that. I mean, that's the struggle. <laughs> that's about as hard as it can be. I don't do that no more. That's just because that's, that's not me. <laughs> You're so funny. That's a different story. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Amen. All right, well, let's pray. Does this make sense? Hallelujah. Lord, we love you so much. So grateful. So thankful for your word. Father, thank you for who you have made us to be. Thank you that you have made us in your image. You have fashioned us in your likeness. You have crafted us into you. And just here, if that's, again, if this is new stuff for you, it, in some way or measure, I want us just this morning to take a minute and just this is how it starts. Saying, "God, this is new to me, but I'm willing." God, this sounds strange. Uh, this might be sound challenging. It might all kind, but I'm willing. I'm willing to right now say it's true. I'm willing to accept the implications of that truth, which means, Father, I've been freed and I've got no more excuses. I've got no more excuses to what hangs me up. Amen. And just say, Father, just to you right now, take a moment and just talk to God about that and say, Lord, here, man, thank you. Lord, help that be a dawning reality. Further, even in me, Lord God, help it be bigger and greater and brighter and deeper. Lord, help me see parts of it I know that I haven't seen yet, the, the radicalness of this transformation. Yes, sir. Help me see. I know I need to see it more when it comes to ministering, healing to people. Lord, to to liberate them from what sin has caused in their physical body. I know there's there's something in me that clogs up the tube right there. Help me with that, Father. I want to see how deep this goes. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hmm. Amen. Pray. I mean, can I just... I know this is going to sound goofy, but this is just my brain. If you saw that movie, The Matrix, anybody see the old movie, The Matrix? If you haven't seen it, you need to go back and see it. Right now, I forget which one it is. Which one? The the dude, uh, the black dude, uh, what was his name? Morpheus. That was his name. I love Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah, Morpheus. I love even his name. Talks about transformation. Right. Which one did he say? You took which pill? To get out, was it the blue or the red one? Y'all remember? Was it the red one? I don't remember. I don't. Anyway, so one of those. Remember, there was a blue pill and a red pill. It was it the blue pill? Let's just say it was the blue pill. You have to go back and watch the movie. I could be wrong. And if you haven't seen them, we'll go back and watch the movie maybe this afternoon. But the Matrix, right? And he said he offers them to them and says, now he gives them the caveat: if you don't actually want to be changed, don't take the blue pill you can take the red pill and go right back into what was always there. Yeah. Today God is saying will you take the blue pill? <laughs> will you just take the blue pill and let him unplug you from the matrix of sin into the reality of what it actually looks like to be a son of of God? Amen. But you got to be willing to take the blue pill. He's not going to force you to take, he'll let you live in the matrix. He'll still love you in the matrix. He'll still do all he can do for you in the matrix, but he wants you to live free from that. What now? Okay, guys, so Kevin looked it up. I know Kevin. So the red pill, take the red pill. Red pill is freedom. Makes sense. It's the blood of Jesus. Amen. Red pill is freedom. Blue pill is stay. Whichever, take the pill. <laughs> Take the pill of transformation. Take the pill that you have been changed. Take the pill that you were like him. Unplug yourself from the religious matrix. Unplug yourself from the dynamic of the world. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well.